coming in. I actually can't see who's coming in or if there's anyone even here. So <laughs> feel free to type in the chat if you want to introduce yourself. Let me know why you're here, what your background is, um, why you're interested in math therapy. Feel free to type anything in the chat just so I know who I'm talking to. And I'm Vanessa, by the way. Yep. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, so Vanessa is here today to talk to us about math therapy, a crash course in becoming a math therapist. Um, welcome to the Global Math Department, everyone. My name is Lee Natero, and I'll be your host tonight. As I mentioned a moment ago, tonight we're going to be hearing from Vanessa Vicaria about math therapy, a crash course in becoming a math therapist. Would everyone please introduce themselves in the chat window, telling us what you teach, where you teach, and what your Twitter handle is, if you have one. And I'm glad to see people from both sides of the United States, Santa Cruz, as well as New York and Maryland. And we have uh, some of our same friends that join us from Romania. Um, I, I recognize some familiar names. Sharon's joining us. Yep, Sharon helps with hosting every once in a while. Good to see so many people joining us tonight. Manitoba. I'm from Canada, so I have to cheer for the Manitoba person. Oh, awesome. There's so many math coaches. This is really great. Uh, outside Toronto. Okay. Wow. There is quite the variety here. This really is global. Yes, it definitely is. Um, sometimes we even have people here from Indonesia. We got somebody here from the Bahamas. So welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for being here this evening. Uh, before I introduce our speaker, I'd like to explain how these meetings work. These meetings are recorded and are available within 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you can use the same link you used to get here tonight. The Global Math Department community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I'll be sure to catch your questions for the presenter to be addressed at the end of the presentation. Um, our speaker tonight is Vanessa Vicaria. Vanessa is the founder and director of The Math Guru, a super cool boutique math and science tutoring studio in Toronto. She's also the author of Math Hacks, a new book that totally makes math fun, stress-free, and relatable for young kids and parents, and the host of Math Therapy, a podcast that works through guests' math trauma. She has her Bachelor of Commerce teaching degree and Master's of Math Education degrees. She appears regularly on national television and news outlets as an expert in math education and speaks globally at conferences about reinventing media representations of women in STEM. Um, I believe that is all I'm going to share about Vanessa for now, but I'm sure she has some more to share with us this evening. Take it away, Vanessa. Thank you. Okay, well, first of all, this is very exciting. Thank you all so much for typing in the chat. It actually, you know how these virtual things are. This is especially weird because I can't see cameras or screens. So I'm literally talking to PowerPoint. Um, so it's really nice to hear everyone saying what's up and who they are. And there's such a great range of people who are involved in math and math education. So I'm curious to see what you all think of this presentation. So I've been talking about math therapy for several years now. I'll get more into what that is and me and why I've started it all, but I'm really excited to hear your perspectives. And honestly, one of my goals really is to bring math therapy to more avenues and more people. It started off as a podcast 
which I'll tell you about, but it is now, you know, it's professional development that I do for educators. So I think it's really cool to hear how it can be used and to hear from you guys, um, your suggestions or how you think you might take this away into your own classrooms or to, to wherever you are. Okay. So first things first, who am I? Why am I here? What's the vibe? So my name is Vanessa. Um, and, and before I even get into it, I'll just tell you my story with math and why I do what I do. So when I was in high school, when I was in grade 11, I actually failed math not once, but twice. So I failed two years in a row. I was always... Um, a dreamer. I always wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to marry Keanu Reeves. I still do. He's still not married. The hope is still alive. And I was always told that I just wasn't a math person. So, you know, the whole time I was failing math, my teachers and my friends were sort of like, yeah, you're not, you're not really a math person. And I was like, that's totally it. I'm just not a math person. Well, in grade 12, after I took grade 11 math for the third time and barely passed with a 57, my parents sent me to an independent school where their teaching ethos was very different. It was very chill vibes. It was a super small school. There were no like real cliques or divisions. We called teachers by their first names. And I walked into my math class that year and I said to my math teacher, um, you're going to have a lot of trouble with me because I'm not a math person. And she looked at me and was like, sorry. And I said, oh, I'm not a math person. And then she said the words that would forever change my life. She looked at me and said, that's not a thing. And I was like, it, my mind was blown. Honestly, it completely changed the way I approached the subject. Of course, she was incredibly supportive and, you know, believed in me. And I also did a lot of work, but I ended up with a 98 in grade 12 math. And it really changed everything for me, not because I became like a famous mathematician, but because I started realizing, wow, there are certain things that we as kids are taught that we can't do. And what's really crazy and why I think math educators have such a unique opportunity is one of the first things that many kids get told they can't do is math. We often bridge, you know, we, we often have this kind of divide between math people and creative people, right? We, that myth still permeates. A lot of people still believe it. People still believe there's a math gene. Um, and when that happened to me, it kind of opened to my, my eyes to, wow, if I've been told for so long, I'm not a math person and here I am rocking math, what other areas of my life could I tackle that I once thought I couldn't do? And that really has permeated everything I've done to, you know, since that moment. So I'll get more into those things and how we're going to take those lessons into what math therapy is. But other things you should know about me are that I own a math tutoring studio called The Math Guru. It's a boutique tutoring studio in Toronto. And the entire goal is to break stereotypes around what it means to be a math person. So I honestly kind of started it by accident. I just loved tutoring math so much. And one thing led to another. And 10 years later, we have over 40 tutors. I try to hire people who are magicians, you know, rock stars, athletes, chemists, anything so that I can show kids that being a math person doesn't look or feel a certain way. Everyone can do math. Um, and, and it's all about the vibe. It's all about changing conceptions of what it means to be someone who is good at math. I'm also the author of a book called Math Hacks. The sequel comes out in a couple of weeks, and it's a book that combines socio-emotional learning strategies with math. So it's grades three to six, and there's lots of like, yeah, there's lots of math and colorful stuff, but there's also a lot of pep talks and talking about mindset and, you know, anxiety stress 
strategies. I also am in a band, My Dreams Have Come True. And again, I'll tell you more about that later. And I'm not saying it just to show off. I'm saying it because seriously, I do not think I would be in a rock band today if it was not for that math teacher who showed me that just because you fail at something multiple times, just because you're told you can't do something, it doesn't mean that you can't do it. It just means you have not done it yet. And finally, most relevant to this presentation, I am the podcast host of a podcast called Math Therapy. And I'll tell you right now how that all started is I do a lot of interviews about like math positivity and just my story and stuff like that. And I was finding that every time I would go to a radio show or a TV, you know, like a, a news station, at some point during the interview, the interviewer would always say, ugh, math, like, ugh, like, ugh. Like, you'd get these, like, visceral reactions, which I'm sure a lot of you are used to getting. And I was like, oh, my God, all of these adults need math therapy. And so we came up with this podcast, which is really, I work with adults through their math trauma, but I actually, I also talk to adults about how math has affected them emotionally. Like on the last season, the last episode of the last season, I actually interviewed an inmate who is currently in jail for murder, who has found, it's like the craziest story. You should listen to the episode. He has found math as sort of like his path to rehabilitation. So there's just so much in there. And today what we're really gonna be focusing on is math therapy. What is math therapy? What is math trauma? And how can we kind of evolve from being math teachers and coaches to these people who you know, incorporate this idea of math therapy with the kids that we encounter and how can we really change their lives that way? So that's everything in a nutshell. So we're gonna get started. So, okay. First, before I do anything, guys, I've lost my chat window. So I want to just see if I can get it back again. And if not, like, no worries. I just don't know if you guys are saying anything and I kind of want to know. Um, for the moment, though, enjoy this amazing slide of Keanu. So, yeah, I can't I can't get it. So someone just yell at me if there's something important in the chat that I need to see. Vanessa, I'll, I'll, I'll get you if you need something that's... I do that. Okay, perfect. Okay. <laughs> So we're going to start with Keanu because we all know that I love him. So a long time ago, a math educator I, I knew was doing research with kindergarten kids. And he said that what, what he was doing is he was going into classrooms and he was saying to these young kids, you know, is there, if you could be anything you wanted to be when you grow up, you know, like, what, what do you want to be? And kids would kind of say like, you know, I want to be like a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. And they wouldn't look that excited, but they'd kind of like name a career path they wanted to go down. And then he would say, what if I gave you this magical blue Skittle? And if you took this blue Skittle, you could be anything you wanted to be. And these kids' eyes would light up. They'd be like, I'd be, I'd be an astronaut, or like, I'd be a physicist, or I'd be a zookeeper, I'd be a magician. They were saying things that you know, they could actually be, but they had kind of already at this young age been told not to dream too big, right? To play it safe, that there were certain things that they could and couldn't do. And what's really, really interesting is, I mentioned this at the beginning, but I think as math educators, we are very uniquely positioned. Whether you're a parent teaching your kid math, whether you're actually a math teacher, whether you're a math coach or a math interventionist, you have this opportunity to tap into something that many kids have been told is not their strength or that they were born unable to do or that they're not naturally good at and to turn that around for them and to show them that that's not true, just like my math teacher did for me. So, you know, 
what is math therapy and how does that play into this? Well, first of all, just to back up, math therapy starts with the premise of understanding that, of understanding that actually, I, I mean, I bet like if you think of most adults in your life, like not the ones that do math education with you, but most other adults in your life or kids or your friends, most of us don't have like a very good reaction to math. Like, again, there's that visceral, like, ugh, like, ugh, oh my God, I can't like, no, like you calculate the tip, right? There is a deep rooted math trauma in actually most adults and kids we encounter, regardless of whether they're good at math or not. And so much of that has to do with the fact that one of the things we've valued so much in math class until recently is perfection is um, getting stuff, is not making mistakes, is getting stuff right, right away. Like we've valued these things that are very stress inducing and that kids have often been shamed for at a young age. And also we have this whole tie in to thinking, and again, like some people still think this, hopefully you're not one of them, that math is a gene that you're either born with or without. So there's a lot of shame that comes along with that. And to go even further, you know, I have a master's degree in math education and women's studies. And in that, I studied a lot of how, like, when we talk about class and gender and intersectionality, even further, we can dig into that trauma that certain populations have been told that they are not naturally good at math. So there's a lot there. When we get into a math classroom and we have a room of kids, there is a lot in there um, to be said about the different types of math trauma that those kids are bringing to the classroom. So math therapy really simply put, is a framework for working through math trauma to free oneself from the conviction that they can't do math. Like it's pretty simple, right? Like that's what it is. And the goal is to help every student cultivate a mindset in which they believe they're capable of anything, starting with math. So remember, the goal is not every student gets a 90%. The goal isn't everyone goes into STEM. The goal actually is to use math sort of as a gateway into a life of possibility. And again, like math educators have this unique opportunity because it's like if you can break that myth of math ability you've opened kids up to to breaking the rest of the limiting beliefs that they're growing up with and i keep saying kids but like this could even be like the big kid in your life or it could be you if you have math anxiety or you have these limiting beliefs like this applies to anyone not just kids but today we're going to talk about how to incorporate these strategies into the classroom so okay a few things to think about too. I'm gonna to read this quote by Joe Bowler because who doesn't love Joe Bowler? Mathematics more than any other subject has the power to crush students' spirits and many adults never move on from math experiences in school if they're negative. And it's crazy, right? Because I know a ton of adults who will swear up and down that they don't need to use math now and they kissed math goodbye decades ago. But I actually really challenge those adults to consider, have you really let go of it all? Does it really not affect you now? The fact that, you know, at 10 years old, you decided there was something you couldn't do or that people didn't believe in you or that your parents yelled at you, like those things stick with us. Now, talking about kids, you know, only 24% of students start off disliking math, you know, in kindergarten, grade one and two. Kids, this was, this was from an article in the US kids under grade six. So 75% of them have heard an adult speak negatively about math. And 44% of these kids have heard an adult outright say, I hate math. So again, we're growing up in this culture. These kids are growing up like hearing like these really scary things about math, let alone like I don't even have stats here for 
how often kids are told math is hard, right? Like not just by their parents and friends, but sometimes teachers will start a lesson by saying, this is going to be really hard, which again is like panic inducing. So I want us to remember the goal though, not a math person. When we I decide we're not a math person at a young age, we automatically are thinking, even though we're not saying it, we're not a person who can do anything we set our minds to because math is one of those things and we've been told we can't do it. So what else can't we do? And this is what we really want to start eradicating. Through math, we want to help kids realize that they are capable of their wildest dreams. Okay, so the podcast. As I told you guys already a bit about it, it started off with me literally like, you know, interviewing people about their math trauma. So I would interview people who had never been good at math or who identified as math phobic. And um, I mean, I encourage you to listen to it, obviously, but just a heads up there, there is some salty language in there. It's like a funny but emotional podcast, but there is some swearing. So just watch who you watch it in front of. But as it evolved over time, I really started interviewing people about um, how math and their relationship with math has affected their lives and their relationships in their lives. So some of the stories, I'm going to even just walk you through a couple just so you get an idea of like how deep-rooted math trauma is and how it can kind of permeate every aspect of our lives. So just a brief, like, let's talk about this so we kind of are all on the same page. When we say the word trauma, trauma is a term used to describe challenging emotional consequences that living through a distressing event can have. Math trauma is a form of debilitating mental shutdown when it comes to doing math caused by living through a distressing event surrounding math. Um, my therapist actually has a really great term for, for something she calls sneaky trauma. And sneaky trauma is something that like, you might not right off the bat name it as trauma. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, maybe it was something like every time you went to do your math homework, one of your parents yelled at you. Like, maybe that's what it is. And you're like, well, is that really trauma? But it's sneaky trauma because over time, associating math with being yelled at over and over again has a traumatic effect. So that's how I like to think of a lot of math trauma. Some of it is overt, as I'll get into the stories right now, and some of it is sneaky trauma. But I think it's important to go into those classrooms with the mindset that everyone probably has something sneaky that they haven't addressed yet. So math trauma manifests as anxiety or dread in your students. It can be like this debilitating fear of being wrong, of not wanting to try something new, of not wanting to make a mistake. And the fear limits like not only what happens in the classroom, but life paths. So very briefly, I'm going to go through starting top left with my friend Sandra, who's the head of an English department at a school, swears up and down. She doesn't need math. She's good at English. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But she's that English teacher. We all know this English teacher who like overtly comments about their lack of math ability, you know? So like a student will ask for their mark on a, an assignment and she'll say something like, oh, well, like I'm not a numbers person. Like maybe I calculated that mark wrong. Or she'll walk into the math classroom to ask the teacher something and she'll make a point of saying to the whole class, like, oh, I don't know how you guys do that. I'm not a math person. I was not born that way. So like those little things that you're like, okay, let's <laughs> stop reinforcing that stereotype. But more importantly, Sandra has, you know, she's in her 40s. She doesn't have her driver's license. She is scared to literally touch technology because according to her, the second she touches it, it all breaks because she has not a finger or a mind for technology or math. And it's limited 
you know, her in that way, like not being able to drive because you're kind of like so scared about technology and that comes down to your math trauma is something kind of major. So moving over to the right, we have Yvonne. I don't know if this is mirrored for you, but season one, episode eight, we have Yvonne, who's amazing. She's actually a student of ours in her 60s who came to us for tutoring because she had failed math. She couldn't count the number of times she had failed math. She was born in Jamaica and she said she had always been taught there were two things she couldn't do and that was swimming and math. And as she got into her older age, she decided that she wanted to learn things in her life that she associated with freedom. And that was swimming, riding a bike and learning math. And so she just made it a point to say, I'm going to work through this no matter what. I know I can do it. And I feel like that being told I couldn't do that over and over again has made me feel not free. So that's a really interesting story. Um, then we have Jonah, the magician, who actually was a math major. So his math trauma is totally different. He was good at math, but he said that throughout his undergrad in math, he became more and more like existentially um, like, you know, deprived sort of by professors who continue to insist that math had no purpose other than to be written and recorded in books that were in libraries so that if someone at some point needed the solution to a problem they could find that and he kind of got all in his own head about the purpose of math and what it meant to be someone who like only studied math so again a totally different story but weirdly related to his relationship with math and what he was taught his connection to math was. And then on the bottom here, we have Jenna. And this is a really like a story you're probably many of you are familiar with. Jenna is now a tutor of ours, but she came to us in her teens because her dream was to become a pediatrician. She'd been bullied by, by a math teacher. So she had a math teacher in grade three that made her turn around, physically turn her desk around and face the back of the class every time she got something wrong. So she already had a really fraught relationship with math. Her parents are first gen, so English is not either of their first languages, and they, they don't speak a lot of English and don't know how the education system works. So it wasn't until Jenna was like in first year university in a program she didn't want to be in because she couldn't get into the sciences that she was di diagnosed with like a series of learning disabilities that had gone undiagnosed. So that was such a major turning point for her because once somebody sat down with her to say, hey, it's not you. You, you know, you have ADHD, you have working memories issues. Now that we know this, let's work with this. It completely changed her life around. She's now graduating from her science program and is applying to med school years and years later. So again, like so much math trauma there that needed to be worked through to get her to the point where she could actually successfully be a math student and see herself as capable. So we're going to take a second here. Okay. Has, is there anything I need to know from the chat that anyone needs to tell me before we get into like what math therapy is and what the steps are um i think we're good we're good okay okay amazing math therapy started as a podcast but it has moved to becoming something that i do with school boards and with teachers and with educators and even with parents sometimes because it can be broken down into practical steps that you can really use regardless of audience so remember the whole goal of math therapy is not to get a kid to a 90. It's to get a kid to that aha moment that they maybe haven't had before or to get them to the point where they're finally, they finally have enough belief in themselves mm -hmm. that they're ready to take that extra effort that maybe they haven't been motivated to take. So I'm going to show you the steps here. I'm going to show you the steps as I use them in a podcast. And then I'm going to show you the steps as they can be used in a classroom with examples of how you can actually do this with your students. Okay. 
So step number one is breaking the myth of ability. Okay. That is literally like, like we're talking now, talking about how, you know, people believe there's a math gene, but there's no science that, that backs that up. Things like that. Like making it clear to your students that the myth of ability is a myth. It doesn't exist. Everyone can do math. Step two is tackling the trauma. So we'll get more into that in a sec. Step three, okay, I should really rename this. It says, see the contextual forest for the trauma trees. What I really mean is after step two, when you've tackled the trauma, figured out what the trauma is, in step three, we want to make it matter. We want to say something like, okay, we figured out, Jenna, that you had an undiagnosed learning disability. Why should you still care about moving forward with math? With Jenna, she cared because she wanted to be a pediatrician. So she had a direct, like, the stakes were high for her. So that's what our job is in step three. Step four is to rewrite our narrative. So this is where we're going to encourage students to rewrite the story they've told themselves about their math ability. And step five is to prove yourself right. This is where we have to really, like, hit it home. Like, you've teed your students up. They believe that anyone can do math. They believe they can do math. They think it's important to keep trying. Now we've got to show them that they can do it. They have to taste that success. Okay, so I'm going to show you the five steps in Tamika's story. This is one of my favorite episodes of the podcast because it was like a classic math therapy story. So I actually met Tamika at like a bar after one of my band's shows. And we were talking about like she works at CBC, which is um, our, our nationally syndicated radio station here. And we were chatting about the podcast and she was like, oh my God, like ugh, math, like she right away had that visceral reaction. And I was like, oh my God, she definitely has math trauma. So I was saying to her, you know, you should come on the podcast. And I told her a bit about my story, you know, that I'd failed grade 11 math twice. And I had had this amazing moment and she kind of was like, I'll think about it. And the next week I got a call and she was like, you know what? Sure. I'll, I'll talk about it. Like I'll come on the podcast. I don't think anything crazy is going to happen, but I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. So step one was already done for me. I had already told Tamika I'd failed grade 11 math twice. I'd been told I wasn't a math person. And then when I found this amazing teacher who had sort of made me see the light, my life had changed. So already Tamika was walking into the room being like, okay, well, so maybe this could happen to me. Like maybe there is something here. So step two was when I actually interviewed her for the podcast and we started talking about math and she was saying, you know, I don't know, like there was nothing major that happened. My mom like kind of told me math wasn't my thing, but that wasn't really a big deal. And yeah, I had this one teacher who actually like was really mean to me every time I got the wrong answer, but that wasn't really a big deal. And oh, actually just a few years ago, I was diagnosed with ADHD. I'd never known that. Okay. I'm sitting here listening to this being like, Okay, you've just told, so sneaky trauma, sneaky trauma, major trauma, right? Like your mom has kind of like put it in your head that, you know, she never had a math gene and now you don't. A teacher was mean to you repeatedly when you got the wrong answer. So you were never really motivated to do math. And now all of a sudden you have ADHD and you found that now that you're on medication, everything in life is easier, but you've never had a chance to revisit math because why would you? You're an adult and you don't think you need math. Okay, so that's step two. The trauma is there. Step three, what, how am I going to get Tamika to realize that she should give it another try? Okay, guys, Tamika tells me two stories that I'm like, oh my God. Number one, she tells me that, you know, I'm like, oh, do you think math really plays a role in your life? And she's like, I don't know, like not really. But yeah, you know, there are some jobs I haven't applied for that I really want because of math. And I was like, 
like what? And she describes a job, which is a very like, you know, a basic job in radio where you have to count down. So you have to say something like, okay, your segment on is, is on in 30 seconds, 25, 20, you know, you're counting down from a clock. And she was too insecure to apply for that job, which she really wanted. Number two, she tells me the story about how she went to Aritzia and she miscalculated, like she read, you know, 15% off, whatever it was. She miscalculated in her head what that actually meant. And when she got to the cash register, she was too embarrassed when the cashier rang up the total. She was too embarrassed to say, oh my God, I can't afford this. I calculated that totally wrong. So she just bought the items went home, was literally in credit card debt, and then never wore the two sweaters because she was too embarrassed of the shame they brought up. So like, I'm like, Tamika, what if we just try to like get you feeling a bit better about this? Because like, that sounds like two kind of major things. Like you could totally, like I'm sitting there being like, you could totally apply for that job. I know you could do that job. And also I have a really good trick for teaching you how to calculate the sale price or a tip on anything. Okay. So that's three. Number three, I've now made this important. Like I've raised the stakes for her. That's actually what the step should be called. It should be called raise the stakes. Okay. I'll change that after. Okay. So she's like, the stakes are raised. She's kind of like, okay, I'm kind of interested. So step number four, I'm like, you know, now that I'm saying this back to you in my words, like, can you kind of see that you had a bunch of math trauma that maybe prevented you from wanting to try in math? And she's sort of like, yeah, like, I've never thought about it that way. I guess it's true. And like, I never did really try to do math again once I was diagnosed with ADHD. I kind of just assumed I couldn't. So now instead of her walking into the room saying, oh, yeah, math isn't for me, I can't do it. She's rewritten her story to be, you know what, I didn't really have a fair shot at being good at math. I don't know that I could do it, but now I know there's a chance I could do it. And that's like, that's a great first step. So step five was proving that I'm right. And I did that by, I taught her my trick to calculating a tip. So a 15% tip, I just do a trick where it's like, you move the decimal place over. So, you know, the bill is $25. You take that decimal place, you move it over, you divide that amount by two. You guys probably all know the trick. If not, don't worry about it. The point is... I don't like teaching math without a visual aid. I taught her a simple percentage trick. She understood it. I got her to do it for me three times in a row until she was like, okay, this is actually really easy. And I was like, yeah, there you go. Done. You can now go into Aritzia and you can calculate the sale price. And that blew her mind because something like percentages really sticks with adults. They like immediately think percentages, I could never do that. It's over. But percentages are so relevant. You know, you see that in sales prices, you see it in stock prices, you see it in the news when we're talking about percentage of, you know, COVID cases. And it's a really simple thing to teach. So by teaching her that little nugget, I kind of opened up her eyes to being like, oh my God, I can't believe I can do this thing I thought I couldn't do. She was like, do you mind if I write that on a sticky note and put it in my wallet? No problem. And there we go. So we're on step five. Step five, again, it's a cycle, right? So back to step one, now we've broken that myth of ability little more. And hopefully, I mean, this was one podcast interview, so, but in your classroom, as I'll show you next, you want to keep the cycle going over and over and over. We're never really done, but the more we get to step five, the more we get back to step one, right? So that's kind of the goal. And I will say, Tamika applied for that CBC job, the countdown one, and she got it. She moved out of Toronto to the city she wanted to live in. And 
it's kind of amazing. Like, is she a math genius now? No. But does she now see herself as someone who's capable of doing a little more than she gave herself credit for? Will she try and go for those things that maybe before she wouldn't? Yes. And that is math therapy. That's really the goal. Now, of course, in your classrooms, it's going to be different and we want to get kids progressing through the curriculum. Um, but that's, you know, it's it, it, at its core, that's really the goal. And that's kind of how simple it is. Okay, so we're going to talk about how to do this in the classroom. Anything from the chat? Sorry, I have to keep checking in with you now. Um, what did you rename step three? <laughs> okay, I'm renaming it Raise the Stakes. Raise the Stakes, okay. Way better. I don't know why I had that whole long, like, poetic thing. <laughs> okay. Anything else? Uh, no, that was it. Is everyone excited? Like, are there exclamation I, points? Uh, yeah, there's exclamation points and people typing in caps at different times. Oh, great. Okay. I love all caps. Okay. Excellent. Is anyone mad at me for anything? Uh, no, uh, but a lot of people can relate to the stories that you've told, it sounds like. Great. Okay. Amazing. Let me know if someone gets upset. Okay. This is the fun part. Math therapy in the classroom. How are we going to do it? And this is also the part where, okay, honestly, after I'm done this, this stuff, I'll stop sharing my screen and I'll go back to the chat so I can, because I do have questions and I want to see if you, you guys have tried any of these strategies or what suggestions you might have, because this is the fun part where we're constantly building our arsenal of how to bring math therapy in the classroom. Because this is a new thing I started a couple of years ago. So it's like been snowballing and growing, but I'm definitely excited to hear more about how we can all do it. Okay. Anyways. Okay, cool. Let's go. Step number one, this slide is crazy. I'm sorry, but I had a lot to say. Okay, step number one is when you're going to break the myth of ability. This can take so many forms depending on what resources you have, depending on what time you have. I know as teachers, we are strapped for time. And it also depends on what age you teach. Okay, so I'm just gonna like go down this pyramid really quickly. The number one thing you can do to break the myth of ability, honestly, if you want to get super simple and you're like, look, I've got two minutes here and there, that's all I have, is tell stories about your own failure or about celebrity failures and how they overcame them. That's one of the quickest ways to get kids being like, okay, so all the stuff I see on TikTok and Instagram about overnight success maybe isn't true. And maybe it doesn't mean I'm a failure just because I'm not getting it like this. So that's the first thing you can do is tell failure stories. I put Lizzo on the side here because I love her and I love this story because when Lizzo popped on the scene, I was kind of like, she came out of nowhere. Wow, good for her. But the truth is she was like sleeping in her car for eight years. You know, everyone was rejecting her. So when I tell kids a story like that, they start thinking, oh, okay, well, you know, like maybe that's what's happening to me. So that can be a really good thing to do. Number two, if you want to go a bit further, and I know a lot of us are probably already doing this, devoting a lesson, like even if it's half an hour to actually explaining to kids what growth mindset actually means is invaluable, right? Like actually explaining them the difference between a fixed mindset where you think, okay, you're in grade five right now. Do you really believe that all of your abilities and skills that you have right now are all you're going to have for life? Get them to be like, well, no, 
Right, because you have a bubblegum brain, by the way, my favorite kid's book, you have a bubblegum brain, your brain, your brain will continue to grow just because you can't do something now doesn't mean you can't do it forever. Like really telling them, like, I know we use the term growth mindset a lot, but really actually explaining to them how it works. If you want to go that extra step to teach them a little neuroscience about some neural pathways, throw on a YouTube video. There are some quick and effective ways to get kids being like, oh my God, wow. Like, you know, we should stop focusing so much on nature and nurture is actually a big thing. So these are kinds of things, you know, failure and growth mindset are the two biggest things I like to do when I'm going into a classroom or going into professional development to say one of the most effective things you can do with the, your class is invest some real time in teaching them about growth mindset and how it affects them right now, like right there, right now, and tell some personal stories. Um, controversial because I know no one has time, but I'm definitely all about assigning books. Like if you have a high school math class, assign them outliers. Like what a great book to show that the real thing that most of these famous people have in common, the most successful athletes and singers is not natural born talent, right? It's 10,000 hours of practice. That is such a growth mindset thing, right? Like really showing them that, you, you know, kids these days are okay, I sound like I'm 100 years old, kids these days, I I included, think that if things don't come quick and easy, that we're failures, right? Or that things just shouldn't take so long. We really have to show them that behind these successes come all these failures and trials and rejections that we are just not seeing yet. That's really what helps them start to see, okay, so there maybe is this myth to ability. I would also avoid using words like talented, or natural, like he's such a natural, like it's, it really like puts this thing in their heads that some people are born with it and some people aren't. So those are all the things you can do to start a classroom culture where a bill, you know, natural talent is a myth kind of, I mean, and it's not completely a myth, but you know what I mean, right? Like we want to set the tone in the classroom of, Hey, we're all at different places now. It doesn't mean we're going to be at this exact same place by the time the year ends. Okay. That's a lot. Break the myth of ability. That's number one. Okay. Now we're on number two. Okay. This is, sorry, another piece of advice. If you have a classroom where you can actually like put stuff up, I love putting up failure quotes, like really like driving it home that failure is like, also too, I love to, sorry, I'm like getting really worked up. <laughs> the other thing I want to say, this is one of my favorite things to say is math is literally about making mistakes. Like mathematicians and scientists get paid money to make mistakes. Like they get paid money to do experiments and fail at them over and over again. Why? Because every time they fail, an experiment fails, they learn something. And that's exactly like real life. That's exactly like math class. You fail a math test, you learn something about yourself. You might learn that, you know what, as much as I tried to deny it, fractions really need a common denominator before they can be added. Or as much as I've tried to deny it, I really actually need to study more than just the night before my test. Like mistakes teach us something. So this is again, part of one still, we're still breaking the myth of ability, showing kids that failure and mistake making is part of learning. It's not the opposite of learning. Um, and yes, I do crazy things. Like I have these failure certificates. I make like diplomas and I make them for my students. So when they fail at something, I put what the failure was and what they learned from it. And I encourage them to tack it on their wall. And I have these in, in my tutoring studio. So they're boards of epic failures and I get students to stick them on the boards for all students to see so they can come and read through all of these failures and lessons they've learned from it. Okay, so this is all part of number one, which is creating that classroom culture where 
you know, natural ability is not the end all and be all. Making mistakes and growing is possible for everyone. Okay. Now we're on number two, which is tackling the trauma. This can obviously be hard in a group setting because you have 30 kids in front of you and you're not going to like sit there and, and we're not therapists also. So we need to be gentle and we need to be chill about this. There's two things I really, really like here. And they're kind of the same thing, which is actually, there's two ways you can do this. And I, again, you might have some other ideas. I really like the idea of creating a math agreement. This is something the class agrees on, things they like and things they don't like in math class. And there are several reasons why this really works for this step. Number one, if we phrase it as, what's a contract we can make as a classroom so that we're all happy learning here? It becomes less about like, oh my God, I have this like horrible thing or I, I hate this and more about, it's more about something collaborative and you'll often catch things, right? Like someone might raise their hand and say, I think that one of the things we should put on the agreement is that nobody speaks over anyone else. That kid doesn't need to say to you, I hate when people speak over me. It makes me upset. If they suggest that for the group, they're suggesting that because they need that themselves. And that can give you a window into what, like, maybe in the past they've been spoken over a lot. You know, maybe they have like a parent who speaks over them every time they're trying to talk. Maybe in math, you know, like, again, you don't need to get into the nitty gritty. You don't even need to know what the specific things are, but you, you need to get an idea of what the triggers are for kids in your class. So, you know, you can, you can do something like that and you can even expand it into what we like in math class in a group, what we don't like. And again, hearing kids bring up this stuff, seeing kids nodding their heads will give you an idea of what you've got going on in your classroom. And it's really up to you how far you go with this. You might want to make notes about what each student has said. Another way you could do this is you could do an anonymous poll, right? Give everyone like sheets of paper and be like, write down what you would like to see on this agreement. Um, and that, that gives you a little more personal insight. But again, I totally get that as teachers, it's really hard to give every single student individualized you know, instructions and math therapy. So this is a good way to kind of get the main ideas and the main points of trauma on the table. So you can kind of tackle them in a group setting. Okay. So, okay. This is the part where I get to show off to you guys, but also this is important. So let's back up. You've set the tone in the class or wherever you are, whatever you do. Kids in your class are starting to be like, Oh, growth mindset. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know what? Maybe I can do math. Like, I don't know if I care, but I guess maybe I can do math. Like, I thought that I was just boring someone I couldn't do math, but maybe I'm wrong. Then in number two, you've started getting some reasons as to why they might think that. So you're kind of getting closer to like, okay, these kids now are like, maybe I could do it. They feel kind of nice that we now have a list of things we're not going to do in math class that make me feel uncomfortable. You as the teacher or coach are kind of like, I know what things kind of trigger my students. Now we're on step three. Why should anyone care? Right? Maybe they're like, I guess I could do math if I wanted to, but why should I care? And this is where it's all about raising the stakes. Okay. So this is renamed raising the stakes. So I always tell this story to my students because um, A, it makes me look cool. And I hope you guys think I look cool too. But B, this honestly is the truth for me. You know, I started off this presentation by saying, 
when I finally persevered, shall we call it, in math class and got that 98, it wasn't about the 98. It was about showing myself that just because somebody else says I can't do something or just because a ton of people say I can't do something, it doesn't mean that's true. So backing up, as you guys know, um, I've always wanted to be a rock star. That is my goal. And, you know, while I was failing math, I was doing all sorts of other hijinks. I was trying out for, we had this thing called Canadian Idol, which was our version of American Idol. Um, I literally waited in line for eight hours one time and I got to sing three words of a Backstreet Boys song and I got kicked off the stage. So, you know, I was uh, trying to pursue that dream, shall we call it, without much success. But after that whole math thing happened, you know, I was like, I'm going to start this rock band I've always wanted to start. Like, I have no idea how to do it, but I'm going to do it. I joined this band and after our first show, you know, we practiced every weekend for a full year. And after our first show, I came outside of like the bar we were playing at feeling so good. And this guy came up to me and he was like, hey, are you the singer from that band? And I was like, why, yes, I am. And he looks at me and he goes, I just want you to know that you are the worst singer I've ever heard in my entire life. I'm pausing for dramatic effect right now, even though I don't, like, I don't know if you're looking at me, but how, okay. So first of all, how rude is that? Don't say that to someone. But second of all, the craziest part is I don't think it ever crossed my mind to give up. Like I wasn't like, oh my God. Okay. You know what? I've tried. This guy says I'm the worst singer. I'm packing my bags and like, whatever. Because of that whole experience with failing math over and over again and finally finding my way, my instinct honestly was to say, okay, I'm not a good singer apparently. I'm going to hire a vocal coach. And I that was 10, that was nine years ago. So I hired a vocal coach and I just started practicing and working at, at learning how to sing. And eight years ago, okay, my math is now wonky, but in 2018, this is a picture of my band opening for Bon Jovi in front of 10,000 people at the Scotiabank Arena, which is pretty cool. I hope you guys are impressed. Again, I can't see the chat, but I'm going to assume. Um, and the craziest thing is none of that would have happened if it wasn't for my experience with math, I swear to you. And this is the story I always tell students is you might not have like a math related dream. You might not be like, oh, my goal is to be like a rocket scientist. But whether you know it or not, persevering and, and you know, like tackling this struggle with math right now and this relationship with math and putting in whatever effort you can to prove to yourself you can do something you thought you couldn't will pay off in the end in ways you couldn't imagine. So this is my story. Obviously, you guys are all going to tell a completely different story. And maybe you're not even going to tell a story. Maybe you're going to relate it directly to a kid in your class who says, but I don't understand why I should care. Like, I just want to play hockey. And you're going to say, well, you know what one of the things hockey players need to do is? And they're going to go, what? And you're going to say, they literally have to practice for hours a day. So practicing math is literally building your practice muscle, like practicing doing something when you don't want to do it because you're tired is the same skill you're going to need in hockey. Like this is where you're going to find that point of connection with your students to make it matter to them. So now we're on step four and this is very wordy and I'm going to read it to you. So don't worry. Let's assume things are going relatively smoothly. Okay. Step one, 
You've broken the myth of ability. Step two, we know what trauma is going on. Kids are feeling like they're in the safe space. Step three, they now kind of care and they're intrigued and they're like, okay, like, I mean, I still am not positive I can do math, but I'm feeling a little more positive than before. And like, okay, I'm ready to do this. This is a really fun time where you can rewrite your narrative. And there are so many ways to do this, again, depending on the grade of your classroom. If, you, if you're like in the high school area, like you can really challenge kids to write a really nice paragraph or to do this exercise with a best friend or a parent. And this is an exercise that I think we all actually need to do with ourselves once in a while, not even as pertaining to math, which is rewrite the story you keep telling yourself about yourself. And, you know, we probably all know that Instagram saying, what you focus on grows, but it's really true. The more we focus on something, the more it becomes reality in our heads, even if it really actually isn't true. So I'm going to read you what I've done here with mine. And I want you to note this. None of the facts change in the story. It's just the way I'm talking about myself. All the facts are the same. So, oh my God, it says my story pre-2000. I literally actually sound ancient which maybe I am now that I'm seeing this. Okay. So this is my story after graduating from high school, which now you know is close to 2000. Okay. So I used to say this. I failed math twice in high school because I just wasn't a math person. I'm more of the kind of person who likes the arts. So it's harder for people like me to do math. There were a few times I had a tutor and I actually understood the concepts, but that's probably because they were easy to begin with. And I worked really hard at understanding them. It's not because I'm actually smart when it comes to math. Okay. Now I'm going to read you the new version of the story, which has all the same facts. I failed math twice in high school because I believed I wasn't a math person. In fact, most of my teachers did not even try to convince me otherwise. And while I did succeed at points when I had a tutor, I never actually celebrated those victories. When I tried and worked hard, I was actually good at math, proving that I am capable of math. In fact, being artsy and creative certainly are not a barrier to doing math. There are additional skills I have that can be used to help me find creative solutions to problems that other, others might not think of. So see how like, the, honestly, I, I think everyone needs to do this exercise like once a month about something in their lives. We get so used to the stories we tell ourselves about the type of people we are that sometimes it's hard to get out of our heads and see the same story from a completely different lens. So again, you can get kids to do this. It can be with a sentence. It doesn't have to be a whole paragraph. You can get kids to work with their friends or a parent or a trusted adult. They can swap stories. It can be a really fun activity. And this is something you don't even need to like post this on the wall of your classroom. This can be something personal for them, like a letter they write themselves even to rem or, or stick on their mirror. So they can say it every day and start getting used to this new identity that they've built that has been inside for so long. Because as soon as you start saying that stuff, like, I don't want to go so far as to be like, oh my God, they're like affirmations, like whispering, I'm a beautiful goddess into the mirror. Although if that's your thing, like go for it. But the more we say these things, the more we internalize them. And again, these aren't lies. They're different ways of framing the exact same story so that you come out as someone that is capable instead of someone who's like a victim of circumstance. Okay, so again, this is just a quick little like to, to do this activity. Here are some steps you might want to do with the class, which is understand what the stories are. So in step one, just write out your story as you tell it to people now. Step two, acknowledge where those came from. You know, maybe you were told that as a kid. Maybe you've just been saying it for so long that it's become your truth. Step three, call BS on them. You know, like this is a story you made up. This isn't necessarily the truth. It's one version of it. 
Step four, rewrite that story. And step five is the really exciting one where you create a new identity that matches to those stories. So like I was saying, the more you start saying, you know what? Yeah. When I was getting those things right in high school, it wasn't because it was a fluke. I was capable of math. I'm a person who's capable of math. The more you say that and step into it, the more that kind of becomes the overarching narrative under which you're living and guiding, you know, your math education. So step number five, and this is the final step. Let me just do a quick little time check. Okay. Final step is proving yourself or proving them right. So we've got everyone teed up, right? They're like, now it's step number four. They've rewritten this math identity. They're like, okay, I can do this. I'm a person who can do math. You've got to tee them up, right? Like we have to make sure that like you give them something they can do to prove them right. Don't be like, okay, great. You can do math. Go solve the hardest problem in the textbook. No. So I think most of us are likely familiar with low floor, high ceiling exercises. But if you're not, they're just problems with multiple entry points for students at different levels. So there's a variety of solutions you can get or a, a variety of solutions or levels you can get to with the same problem. So these, there are so many of these for free online. I'm sure you guys have a bunch. These are one of my favorite ways to, to do step five. So, you know, we don't want to say, okay, you think you're good at math now. What's one plus one? And then the kid's like, okay, but everyone knows what one plus one is, right? We want to challenge them a little bit, but we want to make sure that they can reach a solution. This doesn't mean dumbing down the classroom or dumbing down the curriculum or every time you do math, they need to get something right. No, but you need to give them opportunities to build that confidence and to get some stuff right or to see that they're on the right track. And this might be something like, so low floor, high ceiling math problems are one way to do this. Other ways to do this is I like doing things like, you know, if a kid is struggling with fractions and another kid is really good at like geometry, I like getting them to teach one another to be like, you know what? So-and-so is going to like help you out with fractions. Why don't you show them your geometry stuff? Just to, again, like, Everyone has a math skill. Everyone has a strength. The other, you know, they're not even weaknesses, but the things you're not good at yet are things you're just not good at yet. So like giving kids opportunities to feel strong in math, to feel like they can help someone else, to feel like they can get a right answer, to feel like they can get marks on process, whatever you can do to provide those opportunities. Another like thing I just do in my own tutoring sessions and like this is kind of a classroom thing too is never end on a problem that kids can't solve like the last thing they do before they walk out the door should be something that reinforces that they're capable of math so that is kind of the whole scope of math therapy in the classroom and this is kind of just the bonus is I know how hard it can be to like, you're in your classroom and you've got this amazing math culture and then the kids like leave the classroom and the English teacher is like, oh, I don't know how to do numbers. I'm a words person. And all the other teachers are like, ugh, math. And like parents are like, you don't have the math gene. And you're like, oh my God, I've been doing so much work in here. And now they're leaving here and they're watching teen movies where none of the cheerleaders know math because that's the stereotype. I'm just talking about myself here. <laughs> so I get that. So the more you can involve the community, your school culture, other teachers, the kids' parents, their friends, you know, the more success we'll have with slowly changing math culture so that we have this culture where being good at math can look like so many different things and where every student feels capable of math in one way or another. And this is my final inspirational slide. Thanks to my math teacher, I will wake up every day believing that anything is possible. And one day your students will say that about you too. Very cheesy, but it's true.
And I'll put this stuff up here for a second before I stop sharing my screen so I can see the chat. Um, this is how you can find me if you want to talk, if you want to share your stories. Again, I would love to hear what you're doing in your classrooms. I'm always open to talking. And, and that's it. That's the talk. That's math therapy. I'm really excited to hear what you guys think, whether you think it's possible, how you think, everything. So, yeah. Should I stop sharing my screen now? Um, I mean, if you want to stop sharing your screen, that is fine. But uh, maybe people want to jot down some of the information that's on. Oh, the yeah, screen. yeah, yeah. I'll give you a second. Yeah. Um, so there was one uh, question that came up. Actually, um, it, it was my question. Um, and it's how do you get parents to buy into the failure is a part of learning and it's OK? Yeah, that's a really good question, because I do do a lot of talks for parents specifically about that. I know that there's so much pressure right now. A lot of it comes from the parents to just like want those good marks. I honestly think that ugh, it obviously depends on the parents, but I think it's important to talk to them about that, right? To talk about like failure is not an absolute. And also to talk about the fact that um, you, I mean, you can even get a bit personal with them of like, times they failed in their life and how they've learned from it but to to really reinforce that just again this also has to do with grades right like if a kid is in grade three and they're like failing math it's cool you know we have time to figure out how to get them to where they want to be later now if a kid is in grade 12 and they're literally failing math and they want to get into a stem program well that's a whole different conversation but i think we really have to keep those things in mind of failure is usually teaching us something so it's really an opportunity for parents to say, hey, what's going on that my kid is failing math when they're putting in all the work or they say they're doing all their homework or they think they understand things and they're having meltdowns at tests. This is an opportunity to learn more about your kid. Like, are they using the right study strategies? Is there something else going on? Are they really stressed and feeling pressure? So I think we, again, I sympathize with teachers because it's super hard to hand back a failing grade and have that angry parent saying like, my kid needs to get into university. But I think it's important to have conversations like this and also to kind of like um, de-escalate the, the, you know, the ramifications of a failing grade. Like, let's just back up. What, what are they worried about when it comes to failure? And then tackle that. Because I think... We're scared of failing, but it's usually for different reasons. Like, does that help at all? I know that's kind of vague. No, that that helps. That helps. Um, there was a, another question in the chat. Uh, will the sequel to Math Hacks be this content? So, or... um, so, so Math Hacks is really like it's a grade three to six curriculum book. So in the first book, it's the key curriculum concepts. Like there's counting, there's percentages. It's stuff like that's taught in a fun tone, like kind of the way I talk, but then there's 40 pages of hacks. So it's for students really, or for math anxious parents or teachers. So there's a chapter, for example, on how to hack your math anxiety, things you can do to relax if you feel like you're stressed out or study strategies or pep talks you can give yourself when you're feeling down. So that's Math Hacks 1 and Math Hacks 2 is the same thing with more of that. And then the other half of the curriculum concepts that I couldn't cover in the first book. So that's kind of what it is. Okay. All right. I'm looking through your chat also, guys. This is very mm -hmm. long. Does anyone have anything you want to like ask or say now that I can read this? Oh, okay. Wait, sorry. Now that I'm scrolling, Jill just talked about a book called The Magical Yet. I love that. 
And I'm all about that word yet and how adding yet to any sentence makes anything possible. So thank you for that recommendation. Um, what else? What else? Does that, how are we feeling? Does anyone else have any thoughts? Veronica said at 922, whoa, that's rude. And I'm hoping that's about the guy who told me I was the worst singer he's ever heard. Yes, that's what that was about. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I'm reading so much of this. I'm not a math person. It's socially acceptable to say I'm not a math person. It's so true. It's so true. Honestly, this is all of, I think we're all kind of on the same page with this. So um, I'm excited to hear, like, does anyone think that this is stuff they can use? Um, based on what I saw in the chat, I I, I think so. Um, you know, definitely the cycle, um, you know, with the five steps, Um you know, and kind of pinpointing it down to a couple of maybe specific things that that turn the student um, off um, from even wanting to try uh, math. So this has definitely been a very good session. Great. It was so much fun. And yeah, I mean, obviously, there's so much to say. And I'm excited to hear from you guys. And I'm excited for you to try this stuff and tell me what worked and what didn't. And, you know, so much of this stuff, like, I, again, I'm looking through this chat, so much of this comes down to language right? is literally like I have a jar at the tutoring studio. And if somebody says the term math person, I'm like, you owe me a dollar. I mean, no one carries cash, so I don't get any money. But the point is, right, to be like, we're, we don't say that here. Or we're, when kids say, oh my God, I'm so stupid. We don't say that here. Or don't talk to your best friend that way, right? Like cutting down on that language, the words like naturally talented, like they can be so damaging. So even that alone, if you could, if you want to just start with that, like banning certain words from your class, it, it'll go a long way. All right. Well, thank you very much, Vanessa. Um, if anybody has any last minute questions for Vanessa, uh, feel free to, to put them in the chat. Um, she also shared uh, her Twitter handle and uh, Instagram information uh, earlier. Um, she might type some of that in the chat as well. Um, so I thank everyone for being here uh, tonight. Uh, our next session is in two weeks and um, I'm actually leading that talk. Um, it's instructional strategies to promote reasoning and communication and statistics. And although the content is statistics related, there's definitely some instructional strategies that I'm going to be sharing that would uh, be more widely applicable. So thank you very much, Vanessa, and thank you everyone for being here tonight. And don't forget to uh, follow Vanessa's podcast as well. Oh yeah, Math Therapy. You can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. I feel like you guys will like it, potentially. It's honestly... There's such a big variety of guests and yeah, I hope you like it. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me and I'll see you all on the other side. Get in touch anytime. And thanks for having me tonight. It's 10 o'clock at night. Like we're all going to bed. Yes. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.